Daniel chapter 9. Yeah, um, I tell you what. I'd read the passages we were going to be reading anyway, and uh, I, I, I read way ahead on, on our D group readings so that I kind of know what's coming and what I'm going to get an idea of what I'm going to be preaching on through that book, whatever book we're in. And when I read this, I, I didn't, uh, it didn't click how many weeks have now we been, have we been in Daniel now? Six. So I read this seven or eight weeks ago. It, it didn't click when this day was falling, but Monday, as I went back and read it some more and realized, I, I texted some folks and I said, do y'all see the, the prayer of Daniel for literal renewal so that God can do something new? Do you see that passage coming this week before our very own renew week? The prayer of confession, the prayer of repentance and then somebody I didn't text posted the same thing in our uh, uh, faith life group, realizing that same thing that, that God was doing. And, and uh, you know, like he said, we, these, these curriculum, this curriculum is written months and uh, years in advance, two to three years in advance. And I didn't really, my first date for a new week was not next week. It was Toward the end of March, uh, I actually gave Ed Litton, the, our Sunday preacher, three dates to choose from back when I started talking to him in September or October, and this is the one he chose. And God said, yep, you're going to start then because I got a message for you the week before. Just, you know, again, like I said in the prayer, I, I'll, one day I won't be surprised, but it's not today. I took as the title of the sermon this morning little bit of the passage in verse 14. We have not obeyed him. Kind of encapsulates the entire 19 verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. We have not obeyed him. That's Daniel's confession throughout the passage. Now, some questions to begin with. And you can answer them out loud. And, and then I'll tell you if you're right when we get done. Was God's ultimate purpose for Israel to be exiled? Was, was the re whole reason God set Abraham apart to create a nation just so he could send them into Babylon? Answer out loud. No, no, that's not, that's not why at all. He, he, missionary people, the line of the Messiah, bless all nations, that's why. They are now in exile because of their disobedience. Leads me to question number two. Was God's ultimate purpose for the family of faith called First Baptist Sulphur to decline and die? Is that why he set apart a group of people in 1906? And I don't want to step on Andy's sermon here for a new week next week. I'm not going to talk about a lot of our history. But was that why he set them apart so that in the 2000 teens and 20s, it could decline and die. No, not at all. Well, if, if it's no to both, then something's wrong with the entities, Israel, First Baptist Sulphur, not with God. 
And if that's the case, then we must pray in repentance that God, as he says, as Daniel says a little later uh, in, I believe, verse 16, maybe 8 to 17, then we must pray in repentance that God makes his face shine on us. If de uh, decline in death was not the purpose for our church, and we've been declining for nearly 20 years, what's wrong, God or us? And I think we can follow Daniel, I know, we can follow Daniel's example here in this prayer. And we get to look forward one week. Y'all, renew week is not going to fix everything. Suddenly, because we get these five men and, uh, well, six men and a lady to come and, and teach us, uh, speak to us on these passages, suddenly, whew, everything's hunky-dory. It's going to take heart change, but that's hopefully what happens. But what we see in Daniel is that the heart change begins with prayer and confession. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19 I'm going to read the whole thing. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was king, uh, made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him in prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. 
Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. So we have a lesson in prayer from Daniel here. A lesson in prayer to follow when it appears the end has come. When there's no chance for change. The promise to Daniel, the promise to Israel, was actually the opposite. That there's always hope, there's always a promise. How do we know that? Well, if we follow Daniel's example, then the first thing we do is we go to Scripture. It's the first place we start. It's what Daniel was doing. Daniel went to Scripture. He says in that, that first year uh, of Darius, this would be right after, uh, or not long after, the, the vision of the handwriting on the wall uh, with Belshazzar. He was defeated that night by this King, and then Daniel, not long after that, has this, or prays this prayer. See, when he went to Scripture, Scripture told Daniel that, that God's judgment had an end. There was an end time to it, that his judgment, his anger, his wrath would not be poured out forever. As a matter of fact, that was, that's the promise to Israel. That's the promise back in Deuteronomy. That's the promise throughout the prophets. And in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, those are the two places that Daniel is probably talking about, we see that judgment has an end. It says 70 years, but now we talked about numbers last week, and, and sometimes numbers are exact, and sometimes they're not, and this may be one or the other. If it's a, It'll be about 70 years because he was taken into uh, captivity, Daniel was, in 605, and this would be about 538, so we're getting really close to the 70 years, but it wouldn't be just two years before they go back to Jerusalem. But that could have begun the process, or who knows what's going on. So 70 years may be exact, but it probably just means there's going to be an end. 70 years means it won't last forever. Now, 70 years seems like a long time. For me, at 46, 70 still seems like a long way away. For y'all that have hit that milestone... I'm told you just can't believe it's been 70 years. And some of you looking back a long way to 70. And that's awesome. I, I, I've told you, I want to live to be 108. So I want to I live and look back 30, 38 years ago. I probably won't have my teeth, so you won't understand me. But 38 years ago, I hit 70. 30, we look at that number and go, that's a long time. And I guarantee you, Daniel had. But he had already been serving kings of 
first Babylon and now me, the Median Empire slash Persian Empire for about 60 years. So he began to look at this and go, there's an end in sight. Knowing the end was in sight and having read Jeremiah, he knew that the end actually comes, though, not just because we've hit the 70-year mark, but because the people turn to God. That's what Jeremiah says in 29, uh, uh, Jeremiah 29. We love Jeremiah 29, 11. I have plans to prosper you, blah, blah, blah. It's a great verse. But if we leave out 12 and 13, it, it, it kind of becomes a clanging gong, something we use to, to make ourselves feel better. But we miss, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. This prayer actually follows, uh, fits well with the communal prayers of Ezra 9. Same sort of thing. People praying for uh, their country, confessing the sins of their forefathers. It fits with Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 9. The, the Old Testament has a number of places where an individual prays for forgiveness for past actions of his people. So Daniel has gone to Scripture, and he has read that Scripture says the, the judgment won't last forever, provided the people turn to him, turn back to God. We, as a New Testament church, read the New Testament, and we see that Scripture tells us ineffective, declining churches aren't God's will. That's not why he has churches. He has them to reach the community. He has them to disciple people. He has them to bring his kingdom on earth and do the kingdom work. Just like the judgment of exile will end when the Israelites turn back to God, the judgment of ineffectiveness, or I should say in a positive way, churches will thrive when the people turn to God which is why we planned Renew Week. So we go to Scripture, we see what Scripture says, both about God, about us, about our situation, about what God's plan is, and then we begin to pray. And that's what Daniel does in, in verse 4. In verse 4, and there's no good way to divide this prayer because he kind of spirals through things. So it's, it, there are some general topics he does and verses scattered throughout. The first thing he does, and does it repeatedly, is acknowledge who God is. Verses 4, 7, 9, 14 through 16, and verse 18. And we'll kind of just pull out some things as we go through those. He acknowledges God, who God is. Now, remember, think about the time frame here. This is Darius. Daniel is praying. That should make some light bulbs go off. This is very likely, or at least possibly, the prayer that got Daniel thrown in the lion's den. It was Darius that did it. It was Daniel praying that caused it. So this could be the prayer that did it. Let me tell you. If it is, and we have no reason to believe it's not, if it is, if we pray a prayer of confession for our church, if we pray that God will renew our church, 
If we pray for restoration through confession of our past sins as a church, the devil will come against us and he will do his best to get us destroyed in a lion's den. And sometimes the lions will come from within. Sometimes they're right there in the seats. So we have to anticipate that if we pray like this, there will be times of bombardment. There will be times of attack because while God wants his church to flourish, the devil does not. And he describes who God is. He acknowledges who who God is. He calls him great and awe-inspiring in verse 4. This, this is that image that we saw last week in uh, chapter, uh, is it 8? It's been a week. Uh, where he saw the vision of, of the white hair and the flame and the brightness and the robe. And that, that, that awe-inspiring uh, uh, great God that he saw on the throne. He knows that God, he's, he's seen him. He's seen him in a, in, in a dream. He's seen him in a vision. So he can describe him like this. He, he goes on in verse 7 to call God gracious, righteous. I'm sorry, he calls him gracious in verse 4. Uh, he keeps his gracious covenant. Grace, he is going, the, the covenant, the, the agreement is actually gracious. Well, yeah, because the covenant actually put all the responsibility on God. Remember when Abraham and God made the covenant and, they, and Abraham split the animals? And, and that was common in the day to, to ratify a treaty uh, by doing that. And both parties would walk between the animals. And then if, we, if you remember from that story, it, God showed up as a, uh, was it a flaming uh, cauldron? type thing. That, that's what Abraham saw. A- Abraham was asleep. God walked between the animals, not Abraham. Because God would keep the covenant. And we see God is keeping the covenant. He's gracious. But he's righteous in verse 7. Righteousness means that he does what is right. He always does what is right. And righteousness said... That because the people had disobeyed, there would be punishment. That was, that was the agreement. That's what he talks about in Deuteronomy. Uh, the words of Moses in the book of the law. That's what he's reflecting on. The book of Deuteronomy that says, if you don't follow me, you will go into exile. There will be punishment. And the, the, the Lord we serve will keep his word. And he does. Because he is righteous. But he is also compassionate and forgiving. Verse 9. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. He is uh, is gracious. He is righteous. He must keep his law. If he says something, he will do it. And yet he is compassionate and forgiving. That's why if we fast forward just a few hundred years, we come to Jesus on the cross. Maintaining the righteousness of God by requiring the sacrifice of a person, of a lamb. But because it is a perfect person, the son of God, he both satisfies the debt, satisfies 
the judge and saves us. We see God's righteousness on the cross and his compassion and forgiveness to us on the cross. Daniel goes on in verses 14 through 16 to talk about how strong the Lord is. The, the, the strength of his uh, response to his, uh, the people. You, you brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand. He's talking about the fact that God covers them. God is with them. And when the time comes, God is able to deliver them. God, we are exiled in Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. But you're the God who brought us out of Egypt with all the incumbent miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the disobedience when they got to the promised land, but yet when it was time to go in, how he went before them as long as they were obedient to him. God is strong enough to end the exile. God is strong enough to build his church. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus said. I, Jesus, will build my church. But God is also angry and wrathful in verse 18. Open your eyes, see our desolation. The, the, uh, uh, the city that bears your name. Well, that's not the right verse. Oh, it's verse 16, sorry. Uh, Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, make your anger and wrath turn from your city, Jerusalem. What Daniel doesn't say is, Lord, why are you angry and wrathful? That's not the God we serve. Oh, that is. His anger is righteous anger. His wrath is righteous wrath. We are the children of wrath outside of the blood of Jesus. It is his anger and wrath that was poured on Jesus so that we would not have to experience that. But, but anger and wrath are God's anger and wrath are godly characteristics. That's all, these are all who God is. All these adjectives explain why they were in Babylon and why they can be brought out of Babylon. It was just, it's a quick summary, just a few verses. But any uh, Hebrew reading that or hearing that prayer from Daniel was just checking off, yep, yep. He is, we did, he is, we have, he can, he will, on and on and on. They knew that is exactly who God is. But all of these characteristics also describe why our church has been in decline for 20 years, but also why God isn't required to leave us here. He is gracious. He is compassionate, he is forgiving, and he wants our church to be a kingdom church, making disciples. So that's who God is. 
If that is what he wants according to Scripture, then what should we do according to Scripture? We should confess our sins. At least five sections of uh, four sections of these this passage but over and over in those sections Daniel uses the same words he he confesses he confesses he confesses what we see from Daniel here as he confesses and he uses plural pronouns and singular pronouns what we see is that I confess my sins and our sins and you confess your sins and our sins. See, the question is not, have we as a church sinned? We have, as has, as has every church. The question is, what do we do with that? Do we confess those sins? Have we as a church confessed uh, and repented of those sins? And if we haven't, then that could possibly be, it's not possibly, it is why we find ourselves where we are. See, we sin individually, absolutely, but we sin corporately as a church. When there is sin in our church, and we as a, sin, as a church do not root it out, when we allow it to go unfettered, we then have become culpable in that personal sin leads to corporate sin my individual sin eventually rubs off on the people around me and that becomes then a corporate sin or my personal sin is hidden or excused by those around me and that becomes a corporate sin and don't miss the fact that Daniel is confessing something he had nothing to do with. He was 14, 15 years old when he got transferred to Babylon from Jerusalem. He, he was obviously a righteous teenager. He had obviously been raised correctly. So he had followed God even while they were being taken over by Babylon. He had trusted the Lord. He had been faithful to the Lord. In, in the rest of this chapter, Daniel is going to be called by Gabriel, he who is treasured by the Lord. Treasured by God, it says in verse 23. For you are treasured by God. Daniel, as far as we can see, had no flaws. He did. He was a sinner, just like everybody else. But he was treasured by God. So he comes to the Lord and says, we have sinned. And we would look at him and go, Daniel, what you done? He's a part of it. He is an inheritor of what had been done in the past. He inherited the punishment he also inherited the nature, and he knew it. He knew what they had been. Now, the question some of us want to ask, and I get it, is how often do we have to confess past sins? Didn't we do that? Well, for one thing, maybe you and someone else did, but did others? Have others confessed that what happened was sinful? I don't know. But the answer is 
some internal evidence of this prayer deeper than I, I can even get into this morning or fully understand and try to explain anyway, is that this was a regular prayer, repeated prayer for Daniel. What that means is Daniel prayed this prayer of confession. He prayed three times a day, every day. Did he pray this prayer every day? He prayed it a lot. Daniel, why are you confessing this every day? Because they're still in captivity. They're still in judgment. They're still being punished. They are still in decline. God has not rescued. So there's still something that is wrong in this picture. So Daniel continues to go to the Lord and confess. Another example is the Southern Baptist Convention gets blasted by some that we are we regularly talk about our slave holding past as a convention the fact that we were created so that we could have missionaries that were slaveholders why do we still have to talk about that why do we still have to repent of that because we must continue to confess the acts of our parents and our forebears that contributed to what happened and continues to affect where we are today. There are plenty of people who will not be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention because of our history. Do we still own slaves? No, and that's what we want to say. We don't own slaves anymore, but the effects, the echoes, the attitudes of much of that still hangs on in some places. As recently as just two or three years ago, an Alabama Baptist church fired their pastor because he wanted black people to come to Bible school. Y'all, that wasn't 1953. That was 2018. So we continue to pray. We continue to confess until the sin is gone and until the restoration begins. And look what Daniel says in verse 14, the, the title of the, our sermon. But we have not obeyed him. If you just go back a little bit, verse 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, past tense. We were taken into captivity. All this disaster has come on us. The judgment we knew would come, the punishment we knew we would, that would come, the, the discipline... The thing that's supposed to change us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. Nearly 70 years they have been in captivity. The city's gone, the temple's gone, the walls are gone, and they still haven't turned from their iniquities and paid attention to God's truth. So, verse 14, the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. The one God treasures is saying, we haven't obeyed him. So he's still confessing for his people. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, I want to, let's read that. 
so you can hear it. Like I said, we, we love 2911. We hanged out on our, that on our wall and stuff. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And that is true. That is absolutely true. That was God's plan. Right? We answered that question at the beginning of the message. That God's plan was never exile. Those were the consequences, but that wasn't the plan. My plan, he says, is a hope and a future. But see what's next. Because this is at the very beginning of exile at best, maybe before they went to exile. Verse 12, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Judgment has an end. But it only ends when the people search for God. It only ends when they confess. Daniel's trying to get that ball rolling. Personally, by praying and confessing. And if we pray and confess, if we as a church will pray and confess, then God will seek or will answer, will restore. He will be found by you. That, that's, that's great. Some translations, verse 14, say, you will find me. Speaking of, of people finding God. And, and that puts all the action on the people. It, this translates it much better because it's actually passive for the people. I will be found by you. I will be found. I will show up. You'll be praying and you will see me because I came to you. Not because you came to me. Daniel understands that, right? Because he says uh, a little later on in, verses, uh, in verse 18, we're not presenting our petitions because you based, uh, before you based on our righteous acts. He knows he is not going to find the Lord because he prays this prayer. Or just because he prays this prayer. The prayer is required, but, the, but God shows up and presents himself to Daniel. It's God's covenant. It's God's people. It's God's church. And they still aren't obeying. And then the last thing we see Daniel do is he asks God to restore us. Verses 16 through 19. We ask God to restore us. Again, no plan on my part, but these are great passages for our 50, week, uh, 50 hours of prayer. To read through this daily, sure. And ask God to restore us. God will not act. God will not rescue Israel until they confess and ask him to. 
And then he will take the initiative to be found by them and pull them out. God will not act in our church. This Renew Week will be just a, a five or six days of some nice preaching and good music if we don't pray, confess, and ask him to do something in our church. We'll go through some motions, we'll have some people here, and come March 14th, nothing will have changed. Because we didn't pray, confess, and ask God to do anything. We just came to hear some preaching. God will not act until we confess and ask him to. And remember, let's fast forward just a little bit to Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember what went back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, to build the temple and build the wall. It was a fragment a fraction of the people that had been that returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. We look around and we say we're a fraction of what we were. About 55%. That's all God needs. All God needs is a faithful people praying and confessing and asking him to rebuild what has been torn down. Jeremiah 29, when you call on me, I will show up. And then we see that as he asks God to restore them, as we ask God to restore us in verse uh, Six, uh, verse 18, it's on the basis of God's mercy and his righteousness, not ours. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, Daniel says, but based on your abundant compassion. First Baptist soul, for God owes us nothing. He is not required to bring us back to, to, to restore our light, to, to, to put the lampstand back, or to not remove it if it has not yet been removed. He does not owe us anything. But if he does, restore us. If we do become the light in the community that we have been so many times in the past and can be in the future... If that happens, it is purely because of his compassion, his mercy, and his righteousness. We will never be good enough to earn that from him. That's why we come in humility, in prayer, in confession. Not what may be going through some minds, we don't have anything to confess. That's not humility, because you're 100% wrong. Maybe 101, 102%. Because we do. We have much. We have much to be proud of in our history. It ain't all bad. But again, if God's will is not for a declining church, and we have been for 20 years, who is the one that needs to change, God or us? Well, it's on the basis of his mercy and righteousness, not ours. And so we come to him. But why do we want that? 
Why do we want his restoration? Why do we want him to change us so we can have more tithing members? No. So we can be effective for the kingdom. Okay, yes. But what's the real reason? Verses 18 and 19 tell us the real reason why Daniel wanted the restoration of Israel. Why we should want the restoration of our church. First of all, for his name. For God's name. The reason for our restoration, verses 18 and 19. Lord, Lord, forgive us. We're not presenting our petition. Uh, actually, back up. Verse 18, sorry. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts. It's not for us. But based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake. It's very easy for Daniel to say, so the nations won't talk, about, talk bad about us anymore. Israel used to be a powerful nation, and now they're nothing. Neener, neener, neener. I want to stop that. If that is our purpose in wanting to see our church renewed, so folks outside the church will quit talking bad about us, well, then you got the wrong reason. It is for his sake. For, what does that mean? Well, for his name, this is the church of Jesus, not the church of any other name. I mean, we really, instead of, you know, First Baptist Church of Sulphur, it talks about our location, but we're really the First Baptist Church of Jesus. We should be Jesus Baptist Church, or Jesus Church, and that's an awkward name, I, I get that, we wouldn't want to necessarily do that, but that should be the theme, that should be why, it's for his name. If who is lifted up, he will draw them into himself. It ain't my name in there. It ain't the name of the church in there. And it ain't none of y'all's name in there. If Jesus is lifted up, he will draw them into himself. It is for his name. It is for his sake. We worry about the church's reputation in the community. What we should worry about is God's reputation in the community. It is his reputation that we represent as his ambassadors. Apocryphal or not, and it may be, but it's said that Gandhi was the one who said, I would believe in your Christ if it wasn't for you Christians. He, if that is a comment from people in Sulphur about First Baptist Sulphur, y'all ain't going to like what I'm about to say. But Lord, send a tornado. If that is where we are as a church, if people are saying, I would believe in that Christ, if it wasn't for those people fighting down at First Baptist Sulphur, then we just need to end it and go on. It is for his sake. It is for his reputation, not our own. May we be mocked and ridiculed for our following of Jesus, not for our denial of his commands. For his glory, for his name, for his sake, for his glory. If any one of us wants the credit, we won't get it. Or you might get a little bit and that's it, that's all you get. I don't care if I'm known as the pastor that led revival at First Baptist Sulphur. It might not be me. 
I may be here for a season, and then it falls to someone else to do it. But I want to be faithful while I'm here. I want to be faithful to lead in that direction while I'm here. I want to do things so other people get the credit for it. What's the, the saying? It's, it's amazing what can be done when nobody cares who gets the credit. If we are doing this for any other reason, for anyone else's glory but God's, one of our favorite old hymns, To God Be the Glory. We sing it, sometimes we tend not to live it. To me be the glory, great things I have done. Sounds pretty stupid when we sing it like that, but that's exactly how stupid we look when we live it like that. It's not his, our glory, it's his glory. It's not our purpose, it's for his purpose. The church exists for the sole purpose of making disciples. We do a lot of other things that help us meet that goal. But if that is not our purpose, is that, if that's not why we believe we exist, is that, if that is not what we are making the main mission, send a tornado. Let's just end it. For his name, for his sake, for his glory, for his purpose, my God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. God, hear, forgive, listen, and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your church and your people bear your name. Not worried about the name First Baptist. Not worried about the name Michael Linton. I'm worried about the name of Jesus. I'm worried about fulfilling the mission of making disciples. This is our failure, but it's his church. This was Israel's failure, but they were his people. So we confess, we return, we seek him, we call on him, and he will make himself known to us, and he will restore us, because we are his church. So we pray to be renewed. Hopefully we cover 50 hours this week. From 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Nope. From 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday. 50 hours in 30-minute increments. If you can't come to the church to do it, if it's easier to do it from home, that's great. I'd love for you to come here. And, and sit in the sanctuary to pray. But if not, still fill out the, the paper, the, the times that you want to uh, pray. And circle church or home. And pray. Pray that God will forgive our past. We have a past. Pray that he will forgive it. Confess it. 
Confess your part in it. Pray that he will forgive our present because we still have a present. We, we still have sin. Individual, yes, absolutely. Pray to confess those. But we still have sin in our church. Pray for his glory. Not first sulfur, not us, not me, not you, but for his glory. If our name never gets mentioned, great. But people talk about what God is doing at that church across the street from Frash. If we're just the church across the street from Frash, I'm happy. Because now they know how to find us. They can come and be a part. They can come and hear the gospel message. They can come and be discipled. Pray for his purpose. That we will make disciples. And that will be our only purpose. That will be our goal in everything we do. I hope people come from the community to Renew Week next week. But that's not my goal. It's not my purpose in putting this together. It is to renew us. To renew our commitment to the purpose of making disciples. Pray to be renewed for his church. Not just here, First Baptist Sulphur, but the universal church, the body of Christ. Because if we're strong as a church, rising tide raises all ships. Others, other churches. You know what might happen? People from other churches might come to Renew Week. And they might get renewed. And they take that renewal back to their church. And their church experiences revival. I'm excited about that. Why? Because it's not our church. It's Jesus' church. And if Houston River's growing and making disciples, hallelujah. And if First Maplewood is growing and making disciples, hallelujah. And if Olivet's growing and making disciples, hallelujah. And if the Catholic Church is making disciples in Jesus, hallelujah. And if Henning is making them, hallelujah. Because I and we should want to see disciples. We got 25, 30,000 people in sulfur. And according to the st statistics, about 15% are born-again believers. I'm not good at math. I'm not a smart man. Love you, Tom. But First Baptist Sulphur can't reach 20,000 people. It's going to take all of us. It's his church. Y'all, this is a very similar prayer. Forgive our past, forgive our present, for your glory, for your purpose, and for your church. That's a very similar prayer to how someone comes to Jesus. Lord, forgive my past. Lord, forgive my present. For your glory, for your purpose, for your church, I want to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Y'all, we struggle sometimes to share the gospel. If you know the, enough of the gospel to be saved, you know enough of the gospel to share it. The wages of sin is death. We have earned our judgment 
just what Daniel's talking about. We have earned our judgment by our sin. And we will suffer that judgment, except that the gift of God is eternal life. We don't have to suffer eternal death. We can suffer, uh, suffer. <laughs> we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's, that's where we find salvation. Y'all, that's where First Baptist Sulphur will find its renewal. Great preachers, great music. But we're only going to be renewed through Jesus Christ. All of us turning to him. We can only be saved, you can only be saved, by turning to Jesus and trusting him as your Savior. Pray this week that we will be renewed and that our we can change the title of the sermon from we have not obeyed him to we have been renewed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us. God, we may be a remnant, a fraction, but your promise is if we will seek you and confess, you will renew us. And God, Many of us, the newest of us as members of First Baptist Sulphur, have no clue what has gone on in the past. But that does not mean that we can't pray for forgiveness, that we can't confess what we do know, what we're aware of, especially in our own lives, especially how we personally have contributed or not rather, to our church. Maybe we need to confess how we have contributed negatively to our church. God, as hard as the, the messages of judgment are, you always have redemption at the end. You always have the opportunity for renewal. Daniel's prayer is a whole lot of negative. But then it turns to you. Then it says, Lord, renew us. Hear your people. God, I pray this morning that you would hear your people. And that you would renew our church. God, it seems even more difficult, the, the changes we're going through. None of that surprises you. You planned this, all of it. This is all you. So God, our prayer is that you would renew our church. For your own sake, do not delay because your church and your people bear your name. God, we pray for renewal. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So this morning I'm going to ask you, if you will, to kneel where you are, to come to the stairs, to the rails, whatever, and begin to pray for our church. Pray for renewal. Pray for renewal in your life. Pray for renewal in our church's life. If some of us pray, maybe we'll see some of the new renewal. If some of us confess, maybe we'll see smatterings and the sparks. But if all of us pray, if all of us confess, we will see a renewed church. We will see God's glory. And we will see him do amazing things for his sake and for his kingdom. Maybe you need to uh, talk to somebody about trusting Christ as your Savior. Lee and Kirk are at the back. I'll be over here to my right. If you would feel more comfortable talking to a lady, Amy will be over here to my left. We'd love to pray with you. Explain a little bit more how to accept Christ. Maybe, again, I encourage you, where you are, come up. Let's pray for renewal for our church. Let's stand and let's sing. Let's do business with him this morning.